Hi everyone, I hope you are having a wonderful summer break so far. Like my interview with John, I had to cut out many of the questions I wanted to ask Jeremy to make the episode under 20 minutes. However, there were many things that Jeremy said that I wanted to include. So this is the full interview. May the Lord bless you as you learn to seek wisdom from him in his word. I'm your host, Jeremiah Yonamura. This is the TLM Podcast. We are now moving to the application segment of this episode. Today, we have Jeremy Vuolo, who will help us learn what it practically means to ask God for wisdom. Jeremy is the shepherd of the Valley Bible Study for College Ministry at Grace Community Church. Fun fact, Jeremy is a former Major League Soccer player. Jeremy, thanks for joining. Yeah, glad to be here. So, tell me about yourself. What do you do for a living? What is your involvement in the church? I work at the Master's Seminary um, with the MacArthur Center for Expository Preaching, and uh, we have a lot of projects going on there. It's basically a wing of the seminary to um, encourage and educate expository preaching around the globe using the ministry and life of uh, Pastor John. I also work at the church, helping with the interns there, the guys who go to seminary and work at the church, um, just kind of overseeing the, the intern program. Uh, so that takes up most of my time through the week. Also involved, like you said, at the Crossroads Ministry, which is the college ministry of Grace Church. Uh, serving in the Valley Bible Study. Thanks for giving me an introduction. So that was the only question. We're done. We're over. No, <laughs> Actually, I want to read the passage uh, that is the center of this episode. So James 1, 5 through 8 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith, doubting nothing. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, in what ways have you needed wisdom, and how have you applied this passage to your life? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, most of life is an issue of wisdom. So, the scriptures give us uh, very clear-cut commands on issues, like if you were to read the Ten Commandments and see things like, Thou shalt not kill... Um, it's pretty clear cut, but most of life is, uh, are, is you know, making decisions that require wisdom, like things uh, about work or um, where you're going to live or who you're going to date or marry or what you should do uh, for lunch this afternoon and asking questions constantly that the Bible doesn't address directly, but the Bible does give us principles to understand how to function in this world. And so as a Christian seeking to live a life glorifying to God, I'm in need of wisdom every single day. And so this passage is very applicable because he's talking to a group of people who are lacking wisdom. And he says, if you lack wisdom, you need to know what the source is for that wisdom and how to get it. Yeah, understanding the source of wisdom and how to receive wisdom is, is very practical, which is what not only this passage, but really the entire book of James is about. So for me, it looks like um, going to God all the time. You asked, you know, personally, um, Constantly just going to going to God and saying, Lord, help me to have wisdom to know what the right decision is here, whether it's a big life decision or smaller issues that come up every day, uh, just seeking to be prayerful and ask the Lord to give guidance. 
How have you used this passage to comfort college students? Uh, this passage, you know, is is very helpful for college students, especially this entire book of James, because there are so many big decisions that college students are making. You're at a very unique season of life where you're, for the first time, many of the st- students in college are out from, you know, their parents' home and their parents' direct influence and uh, attention and provision and having to make major life decisions, like what you're going to study, what direction you want to take your life in. Uh, it's a season where students are having to make their faith their own. So college students are in a very unique season of life, of a central formation in their life, where they're having to establish convictions and make major decisions that will impact the rest of their lives. And so there's a huge need for wisdom. So I find myself going back to this text a lot, you know, when I'm counseling uh, college kids about really seeking to find uh, wisdom that God gives uh, to make those decisions um, and humbly asking him for that wisdom. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's something that I think I reference a lot uh, in speaking to, to people like yourself, Jeremiah, who's in a season of life that's very much foundational and, and formational for, for what's coming next. And what are some areas in which college students need wisdom? Man, what career am I going to follow? Who am I going to spend my life with? You know, a lot of college students are wrapped up in the question of of trying to find a a wife or a husband. Ring by spring. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, ring by spring. You've got questions of what's next. You know, you've got the seniors who in a month are graduating and they have to determine, do I go pursue a job? Do I go for another degree? Do I move back home? Do I move out on my own? Where do I live? What church do I go to? All that sort of thing. So it's just a season of a ton of questions and a ton of decisions that need to be made. You're not at a point in life where you're just settled down and established. You haven't been in one place for 10 years and kind of have your routine. You're you're just at the start of a career. You're at the start of a life. You're at the start of, yeah, your community, what community you're going to be involved in. Um, so, man, there's there's decisions galore in everyone's life, but I feel like it's probably times 10 for the college student. And one of the things that you mentioned is careers and whether or not to pursue another degree. What would you say to someone who's about to graduate and needs wisdom? Well, this passage... So I know you've been kind of studying through James, and you've probably got some James-specific questions coming up here, but the book of James is all about wisdom. So the heart of the book of James is in chapter 3, where he starts in, in verse 13 talking about demonic wisdom, earthly wisdom, and divine wisdom that comes from God. And that really is the thesis for this book. James is writing to a people who need wisdom, Um, in order to follow Jesus. And as you kind of discover as you go through the book, these Christians, not only are they dispersed all over the place, they're struggling, they're being tempted, they're being persecuted, but they're a bit of a mess as well. And so these Christians need what James is giving them. And his goal, you see his goal in chapter one, he says in verse four, he wants their steadfastness to have its full effect that they may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So he wants these Christians to have a holistic faith, um, to follow Jesus with all their hearts, to not lack anything in their Christian life. And to do that, they need wisdom, but they need a particular kind of wisdom. They need a wisdom that comes first from God. 
So the source of wisdom is so important because you notice here in verse five, he says, if, if you lack wisdom, where should you go to get it? Well, you need to ask God. And so my advice to a college student is to first understand that uh, as you're making these major life decisions, uh, you need to go to the source of divine wisdom. You need to go to God himself to make the right decisions. You need to to discover from God what the right decisions are, not just from the common sense wisdom of the world, that there is a divine wisdom available to you that comes from God alone. So the source um, will drive you on your knees in prayer to the giver of wisdom, which is God. It'll also, also drive you to where God has revealed himself, which is in his word, right? So for a college student who needs to make a decision about what's next, my encouragement is going to be, well, you need to be in prayer and you need to be in the word to understand the heart and mind of God. And through those mediums, you'll have wisdom to know what's next. And we can talk about specifics. I mean, I don't know if you want me to get into like, you know, there are some very practical, helpful ways to make decisions in life, but that's the basis of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And could you go into the practicality of it as well? Yeah, sure. So when when I say go to the word for wisdom, I think the natural question is, well, the, the Bible's not going to tell me where to move or what degree to pursue or what job to have. But actually, what the scriptures give are principles for life and understanding life, which help us make that decision. So the principles show us how to live a God-honoring life by what our priorities are to be, by how to treat others, even our own family members, which immediately make practical decisions a lot easier. For instance, here's one. The scriptures say that if a man doesn't provide for his family, then he's worse than an unbeliever. So you need to be pursuing something that will allow you to provide for your family. Well, that really helps you understand whether you should spend the next six years, um, you know, just traveling Europe uh, penniless, or if you should pursue a career that is going to allow you to, to um, make money and have an income and provide for those who you love. So wisdom comes from the word in that way, where it's not going to directly say to you, Jeremiah, hey, move to, you know, Oregon next year. But it is going to give you principles that are going to shape those decisions and kind of frame your decisions around uh, what it looks like to, to live a God-glorifying God life. And one of the things that is very common, you mentioned it, is who am I going to spend the rest of my life with? It, sure. With these practical principles of understanding scripture yeah. and being in prayer, how can that be applied to relationships? Yeah, so the Bible doesn't say a whole lot, especially in the New Testament, about dating or marriage in the sense of uh, giving us like five tips for who to marry. But what it does do is it shows us what it means to be a disciple, and it paints for us a picture of a Christ-like man or woman. So even the book of James shows us what a person who's living by the Spirit and walking in wisdom looks like, as opposed to someone who's walking in the flesh and living by an earthly wisdom looks like. And the contrast is very clear. One produces a life of chaos and disruption. Um, the other produces a life of purity and peace and joy. And so as you're considering, you know, who to pursue in a romantic relationship, well, you're wanting to look at Scripture to understand um, what does a godly woman look like or what does a godly man look like? And to understand that's the kind of person I want to pursue, someone who's also pursuing Christ. So if you're in the Word and if you're studying the Word, if you're studying the book of James, 
you're trying to understand um, what what does a godly spouse look like? What's required of a godly spouse? What what should a husband's responsibility be or a wife's responsibility be? And through that, it allows you to see the type of person that not only you should be, but the type of person that you should be pursuing. And do you have any uh, specific passages for college students to look to? Yeah, I think if you go to a passage like First uh, Timothy chapter three, you see the qualifications for an elder. Um, I think that's a really helpful text when looking at a person's character. Um, here he's speaking about uh, who is an elder qualified man, certainly. But really what Paul is doing for Timothy is painting, painting the portrait of a mature Christian who has integrity. So it's a really simple place to go to look and say, anyone uh, should be someone who's sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, gentle, and you could go through the list. Um, what Paul shows us, what every elder must be in order to be an elder, every Christian ought to be. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. If you go to the book of James and just kind of stay and hang out in James, if you read James, um, even down you know, through chapter one, you're wanting to see someone who reflects the character James speaks about, someone who has true religion. You know, he'll talk about true religion is religion that has faith in Christ that produces action. So the person you're pursuing, are they just a good talker? Do they just know the Christian lingo, but it doesn't really reflect in their life? They don't love others. They don't selflessly serve others. So it's painting for you a portrait of what a godly person looks like. Even this whole section in chapter one is about suffering, right? He says, count it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various kinds. One of the most important things when you're pursuing a relationship with someone is to see how someone suffers because it shows you what they really value, right? I'll never forget a story. I, I remember I was a little kid. I must have been 10 years old. And uh, there was a guy and a girl in my church who... Um, I think they were dating. I don't think they were engaged at the time. But the guy's house burned down. And I'll never forget this. Uh, his girlfriend said, or maybe it was his fiance at the time, said watching him respond to that made her confident that he was the man she wanted to marry. Because as all of his stuff was literally burned to the ground, she saw a man respond in humility and acceptance and graciousness, um, because that's not where his treasure was. She could tell that even as all his stuff was taken away, he treasured something greater in his relationship with the Lord. And she thought, that's the kind of man I want to marry. And that is the man I want to marry. And they got married. Um, so it's something like that, where you see James and he says, hey, how, how are you responding to trials? That says a lot about your faith. How are you responding to temptation? That says a lot about your faith. And so as you go through a book like this, or really any New Testament book, it's painting for you a portrait of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a Christ follower. And obviously, if you're someone who loves Christ, you're going to want to live with someone who loves Christ. I think it's a great contradiction when someone says they love Jesus, but then they want to commit their life to someone who hates him. You say, well, that, how does that work, right? Um, wouldn't you want to marry someone and be in a union with someone who loves Jesus the way you do? Um, it only makes sense, so... And uh, why do you think uh, that people who profess Christ would find it wise to enter a relationship with someone who is not a believer? 
I think there's a lot of reasons. You get along with people, you know, and, and um, we, you know, you, sh- you should have friends who aren't believers. And sometimes you really like someone's personality or you're attracted to them. Um, I mean, there's a uh, plenty of reasons that someone uh, may find themselves in that situation. Um, but I think what it would reflect ultimately is, um, you know, as a Christian, my allegiance is to Christ above anything. And so if I want to be with someone who loves Christ like I do, and certainly if I'm talking about a romantic relationship and then marriage even, you have to think uh, about raising your children. Are you going to raise your children to love Christ in a relationship where one of the partners uh, doesn't? So, you know, you could go to a text where Paul talks about being unequally yoked, but it's really an issue of fellowship. Um, marriage is a picture of the gospel. It's a, it's a, it's a mysterious um, union between two souls that reflects the union of Christ and his church. You know, it's one of the most beautiful uh, illustrations of the gospel that we have as people. And so um, that marriage ought to be a marriage that's Christ-centered with God at the middle of it, which is impossible if you have someone who doesn't love Jesus in that marriage. And so I would just tell someone, if you truly love Christ, then um, you'd, you'd want to be united in the most intimate human relationship possible with someone else who also loves Christ. Um, so, yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of reasons why it would be unwise to pursue a relationship like that, although we're, we're to have relationships with unbelievers. Uh, but that special um, intimate relationship is reserved for, for two people following Jesus. Are there any other situations in which college students need wisdom that we have not discussed thus far? Yeah, I think like anything else in life, um, where to work, um, you're going to need wisdom on what job to pursue. Um, There's so many questions that go into that. Um, How can you be a faithful church member? Um, What should be your highest priority? Finding a church or finding a job or how do you determine where to to live? Um, Really, wisdom is needed in every moment of life, which is why James wants his hearers to be people who are dependent upon God. So they're living lives of humble faith uh, in prayer, asking the Lord for direction. So it doesn't matter if it's career or relationship, whatever it is, asking the Lord for wisdom um, that they would they would live a life that is is pleasing to him um, and in, a court, in, in line with his word. So James's desire is for those who lack wisdom to go to God for that wisdom. Um, so yeah, it's really any area of life that, that you could really think of would be, uh, you need wisdom for it. I asked this question in the, in the last episode, and okay. I think it's, it's a good question here as well. So the context of James was to, uh, to suffering Christians uh, who were scattered abroad. How do we know that this passage can be properly applied to to college students and people in the modern day? Yeah, like all of God's word, there was an original audience, and God's word had an original meaning for that audience. But because it is the eternal word of God, um, it's profitable for all of us in all time. Um, God's word transcends culture and time. So the wisdom that God gives uh, can be applied to us as uh, 21st century uh, Americans. Uh, it could be applied to 16th century um, Westerners or Europeans or wherever. You could go to any culture and time 
and God's word applies because it is the wisdom from God. So it transcends our cultural moment. And so even though James was writing to a specific people with a specific problem in a specific time at a specific place, um, it is profitable because it is the word of God for Christians for all time. And so as you read this, you'll recognize that the instruction he's giving is helpful for us in our context as well because that instruction transcends the time and space it was given. Um, It's kind of what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable uh, for proof, training, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, perfect, complete, have everything he needs, which is the same thing James is saying here. He wants us to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, So God's word is sufficient for our for our lives uh, regarding everything that has to do with faith and, and the pursuit of godliness. So, um, yeah, I, it's, it's like the rest of Scripture, which it was written to a specific audience at a specific time, but it has profitability for us as well. What's great about Scripture is that it is profitable for all people at all times. And one thing that has been around for 2,000 years is the church, and you mentioned that one of the ways in which people are seeking wisdom is how they can be a faithful church member. That looks different for college students because we're in a unique time of life. What would you say to someone who's, first of all, maybe this person's a senior in high school, is about to go off to college, what would you say to that person who is looking for a church? And what would you say to someone who has found a church and is looking to uh, be faithful as a member there? Yeah, understanding that uh, Christianity is about community. Um, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So even though we have sort of this isolationism in our day where we make everything individual, um, the Christian community was designed to be lived in community. Um, you see that at the start of the Christian church in Acts chapter 2 when at Pentecost. When Peter preaches, they respond and are joined to the church. They're baptized, they repent, they're baptized, they're brought into the church. And you see in Acts 2.42 through the rest of the chapter how they're having everything in common, they're living life together, they're sharing things together. There's immediate community. And so the Christian life was not designed to be lived on an island. It was designed to be lived in community. And that's not only for your benefit individually, but it's for the benefit of others. There is over 56 one another duties in the New Testament, commands that were given as Christians on how to treat others in the church, which are impossible to fulfill if you're not in the church. If you're not faithfully serving, if you're not a member of a church, if you're not attending church, it's impossible for you to love one another. It's impossible for you to serve one another, to pray for one another, to greet one another, to encourage one another, admonish one another, teach one another, serve one another. All of these one another duties that we're commanded to do as followers of Christ are impossible to do if we're just individuals. We need to be in community. Um, It'll also benefit you because you'll be the recipient of those one another's. People in your life who love you and care for you who selflessly uh, seek to serve you. The benefits of being in a church are designed by God to help you persevere in this life as a Christian. So I I would encourage you, if you're thinking, should I be in a church? Yes, you should be in a church. And how faithful should I serve in the church? 
yeah, you need to give yourself faithfully to that body because not only will you benefit, but you bring something tremendous to the table as well. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul speaks to the church and he uses the metaphor of a body. And he says, every member of the church is like a member of the body. So if you imagine a man like Arnold Schwarzenegger, this strong bodybuilder who's got muscles, you know, popping out all over the place, um, if you think about each member of his body, every single one is needed because it doesn't matter how big his biceps are or how strong he is. If his eyelids don't want to open, he has to sit in a chair and do nothing, right? That's the illustration that Paul gives. He says, every member of the church is a member of a body. And so we need every member to be operating. Imagine if just one day your left arm just said, I'm not going to work. It would incapacitate you. You would not be able to do what you can do without that left arm. So as Christians, we need to realize that we are members of the body. Paul actually says about the Christians that they are irreplaceable. I mean, you are so important to the body that you need to be a part of it and need to be actively involved in it. Um, so I'd encourage you to, to, to realize that, recognize that, and then to join a body of believers and to serve in the local body. Um, he says there are, the, there are parts of the body that are indispensable. So you as a Christian are an indispensable member of the church, which means if you're not going, then yeah, the church still exists, but it's not functioning as it could or should without you there serving and being a part of it. And you're going to suffer as well, especially you said a senior in high school. My goodness, when I went to college, I, I uh, came out of high school, went into college thinking I'd live for Jesus and serve him, but I never got involved in the church those co first couple years. I just kind of did my own thing. And I suffered horribly for it because I got mixed up with guys who were just partying all the time, not loving Jesus. And uh, my life just went, went downhill um, because I wasn't availing myself of the blessing of being in Christian community. And it wasn't until I did that that the Lord really uh, began to bless me in some ways of, you know, being able to overcome certain sins that I was really wrestling with and, and get my life on a better path because I had, I had strayed away from that community. So Christian community is so valuable. It's, it's what the church was designed to be. Yeah, no, it's just it's the Christian community. It's what God designed the church to be, was to be lived in community. What are some practical ways that a that a college student can serve at at his local body? Yeah, there's ways to use your gifts and talents. You know, if somebody's got like audio video gifts or singing gifts or something like that. But I think the most overlooked and misunderstood uh, way to serve is what I mentioned a moment ago is the one another duties. Um, the church functions primarily through believers being in each other's lives and just caring for one another. So often we want to put a label on it and say, oh, well, I don't serve because I'm not on staff or I don't have a label or a specific job that's given to me. When you look at the New Testament church, you don't see a business. You see an organism, not an organization, right? You see a living body. You see believers who come together who care for and love each other. And so you want to serve. The best way you can serve is by being in the church and loving other Christians, asking them how their day is going, asking them how you can serve them, asking them um, how you can bless them, praying for them, encouraging them, coming alongside them in life. That's the best way to serve in the local church. 
And sure, there's opportunities like, wow, you've got a talent for making slides. Can you make the slides on Sunday? Great. But that's not the primary function of service in the local church. It's by doing the one another's, by loving uh, those in that community faithfully. What are some examples of, uh, of being able to love one another? Yeah, like I just said, just I think coming alongside and asking someone a very simple question, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Uh, being in each other's lives. Uh, we don't have to formalize community. Community is basically living life together. I think sometimes we have an idea of like going to Starbucks and just it's like, oh, we get a coffee together and we do discipleship. No, we, we just do community or do life together. Have people into your home. Uh, be in their homes. Go out to lunch. Hang out. Spend time together. And in that time, uh, just seeking to bless and encourage others. Um, we do so much good with our words. If we can speak life, if we can speak encouraging words to someone, if we can speak uh, the word to others and say, hey, I was just reflecting on this text and just want to share that with you, uh, a little text message here or a conversation there, does so much good. If we just think about how it's been received in our lives, we've been impacted by those who invested in us, who cared about us, who when they saw us came over and asked how we were doing and then really cared at what we said. So just doing that for others, it comes down to fulfilling the law of Christ, which is the law of love, right? Um, and there's no formal way to do that. I think it's just by doing life together. You mentioned how a big area is finding a job. And what would you say to someone looking to uh, about finding a job, whether that's career-oriented or just they need, they need money to pay for school, they, don't, they may not have a car? What would you say to people looking for wisdom in that area? Yeah, so I've got five Ps for you. You ready? On, on decision-making, any decision-making, but maybe that's super uh, relatable for, for this decision with a job. You want to go through these five Ps to know how to make a decision. And the first is, um, I think you have to look at your at providence, right? You have to say, what opportunities do I have? You and I could sit here, Jeremiah, and say, uh, we want to be in the NBA. Well, it's just not going to happen, right? Um, we don't have the gifts, the skills, the talent, the height. We don't have it. So I could wish all day and pray all day and plan my life to be in the NBA, but it's not going to happen because providentially, God hasn't given us that opportunity. He hasn't opened doors. He hasn't given us the height or the gifts or the skills, right? So you want to look at God's providence. What opportunities do I have? The Lord often directs through providence. Then you also want to think about people. Second P is people. You want to take counsel. The Proverbs say in the uh, there's safety in, in many counselors. So you want to ask others like, hey, um, you know, I've got a couple job opportunities here. What do you think I would fit best at? Do you think I should take the accounting job or do you think I should work a couple more years in custodial over here? And what, what do you think I would be good at? Like, um, do you think this is a good route? Ask people you trust. Ask people who are people of integrity, who also love the Lord and love his word. You'll get so much wisdom from that. Um, they'll have a different perspective than you, and they'll be able to shed a lot of light on those decisions. So you want to ask people. The third is, what is your passion? What do you want to do, right? Um, do you want to go to Wyoming and take that job or not really? Well, that might answer the question right there because it's like you don't even have a desire for this. So why are you even considering it, right? It'd be really miserable if you took that job. Um, so you want to consider how has God made you? What passion has he given you? Um, it's just one of the things to consider. The other, and it's so foundational, is principle. And that's when we go to God's word, right? 
you want to know, is there anything in God's word that speaks to this? And sometimes there's things that speak very directly, like, um, well, you shouldn't take that job because that you'd have to be dishonest. And the Lord, in his word, says, Christians, you can't be dishonest. So that closes that door. No more consideration. doesn't matter if it pays six figures. You can't take that job, right? Because it violates the principle of God's word. And the final P is prayer. After you've considered all those things, the word of God, people's counsel, your own passions, and his providence, you want to pray about it. And the Lord will give direction and peace through that. Um, and I've never found that to be insufficient. Those five channels of seeking wisdom have really helped to make decisions in life. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, I know as a college student that I'm thinking through a lot of those things, and it's very uh, helpful, and I'm sure that the listeners uh, will also find that very helpful. Before we close here today, is there anything else that you'd like to say on the topic of uh, wisdom and the book of James? I would just say it it's a disposition of humility, going to the Lord and recognizing your dependence on him to guide you and to lead you. Um, it's something that the church James was writing to, the people he was writing to were struggling with. Um, their lives were reflecting a dependence upon earthly, carnal, demonic wisdom, and he was urging them to look to God for direction. So that's where we need to be. Whether we're in suffering or in a season of prosperity, dependent on the Lord, asking him to guide us that we might live Christ-honoring lives uh, that make it to the end. Jeremy, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Glad to be here. (laughs) 